0: Find Luke chapter 18 in your copy of the scripture, Luke chapter 18. I want to bring a message to you this morning entitled, Praying That Will Not Give Up. Praying That Will Not Give Up. Luke chapter 18. I want to commend you. Uh, I know this is a different subject matter altogether, but I commend you for your giving to the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering for North American Missions. Uh, Our goal was 40,000, and you'll see in your messenger this morning that a little over 45,000 has been collected thus far. There is still time to give to that if you've not given already. And just keep in mind, 100% of what we collect Uh, to go to that goes directly to those with the North American Mission Board who are out doing church planning and uh, missions across North America. Uh, The Annie Armstrong funds do not get caught up in administrative matters, just like the Lottie Moon funds at Christmas Our cooperative program dollars help the administration side of the equation. Our special offerings go directly to missions. And so there is still plenty of time to give uh, if you feel led uh, to do that or even give again. But again, I want to commend you for your strong giving. I want to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word, please. Uh, Luke 18, and we're going to read from verse 1 down through verse 8. Praying that will not give up. And he, that is Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Here. You know, it's amazing how oftentimes in the Bible uh, the Lord Jesus says, Here. Whether it's in parables or the risen Christ, Uh, writing to the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Over and over again, we are told to hear. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on earth? Father, I do pray that you would open our ears and open our understanding this morning to hear what you have for us from your word. And Lord, may we not simply hear, but may we be a wise builder who builds our house, so to speak, upon your words. May it change our lives. Lord, we know that there are so many things in life that we can't do. And mothers, while they do so much, they likewise have limits. But one thing we can all do is we can pray. Pray in such a way that we'll not give up. May we be found faithful in this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, there's so many tender and touching stories in the Bible about mothers. You're not very far into the scripture until you see some of these. On Wednesday nights, we've been going through the book of Genesis, and we're in that section now talking about Jacob and Esau. And of course we see the very touching image there of Rebecca And everything Rebecca is trying to do in order that her son Jacob might indeed get the blessing and get the promise. Uh, here was a dad who was willing to forego God's word. But Rebekah remembered quite well God's promises to her and to Isaac when Jacob and Esau were born and how, I, uh, how Jacob would be the one to inherit the blessing. She was told the older will serve the younger. Sort of a reversal of the, the normal way of doing things. Then there was the case of Moses' mother. When Pharaoh delivered that edict that all the baby boys had to be killed, she took Moses, hid him in a basket down in the bulrushes along the Nile River, and she protected him there. She risked everything had she been found out. And then there's Hannah. Hannah praying for a son and promising to God that if God will give her a son, she will give that boy back to God. God did that for her and she kept her promise. She took Samuel up to the temple and left him there to be raised uh, by the prophet Eli. And there's the touching account how every year she would take things that she had made for Samuel uh, up there to the temple. So over and over again, we see amazing instances in the Bible of tender and touching things that moms do for their children. And we see that in everyday life in modern times. Moms, I want us to look at this parable today to see the greatest thing that you can do for your children. You can be the greatest prayer warrior that your children have. And I trust that many of you are already doing that. And I would say to you, don't give up. Because we know that God moves through the prayers of His people. So pray and keep on praying. Now this parable of Jesus concerning the place of prayer in our lives falls right after his warning uh, about his second coming. He knew that as his church waited for his return, one of the dangers that we would face would be that we would give up, that we would grow discouraged in the midst of trials and hardships. There are things in life that do that to us. There are things in life that discourage us greatly. Take the case of Ted Turner, for example. Cable television tycoon Ted Turner has often been quoted as being very critical of Christianity. At a banquet in Orlando, Florida in 1990, when he was being presented with an award for his work on behalf of the environment, he said that he had a strict Christian upbringing and at one time had even considered going into the ministry and becoming a missionary. He said, I was saved seven or or eight times. (laughs) Now clearly he missed something there. But he says, I, "I was saved seven or eight times, but he said he became disenchanted with Christianity after his sister died, despite all of his prayers in her behalf. We know that discouragement can hinder a person's walk with God. Jesus' point in Luke 18 is that life is to be handled with Prayer, as we wait on God's ultimate vindication and God's ultimate judgment. Jesus is saying to his disciples and to his church that victory comes through waiting on God in persistent prayer. But he says, understand something, such persistent praying takes faith. Will we have faith to pray this way? Moms, I want to offer this parable to you this morning as an example of what can happen through praying that will not give up. The first thing I want you to see with me this morning is the fact that life demands prevailing prayer. Life demands prevailing prayer. He told them a parable, verse 1 says, to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now, Jesus told many parables. Sometimes you've got to very carefully look for the meaning in in some of the parables. But that's clearly not the case here. Verse 1 tells us right up front, He told a parable to them to the effect that they ought always to pray and not give up. And so we see here that prayer should not be viewed as elective. Prayer should not be viewed as elective. You see there are two options being presented here. One way is the path that we're to choose, that we would pray and not give up. He says that you ought to do this. It expresses a need, a necessity, an obligation. Now that's one option of how we can handle life. And that ought to be the Christian option. But there's another option. He says here that we could lose heart. The King James says "Thank." Now, there are many reasons that moms could lose heart or faint in this modern world every day. Look at what all we're seeing in the news. Every day, it's like something new is happening, tragedy. Uh, We've we've almost come to expect these things to the point that we're just numb to them, not even surprised anymore. What, last week, the shooting of the Mooresville officer, the tragedy of that. We need to constantly pray for officers that that we have in our church. We have a number of officers in our church. We need to pray for them. Pray for their safety. And then two weeks ago, the UNCC shooting. Things like that just happening with, with the rapidity that... Many of us never would have imagined we would ever witness in American society, but here we are. And so moms, every day when you send your children out into the world, there is no telling what could happen. Now that's not to be a motive for fear, but a motive for prayer. It'd be easy to lose heart, but instead we ought to pray. You know, I feel sorry for those who do not know the Lord, don't you? Just think of the way the world has changed. I grew up in Charlotte and rode my 10-speed bicycle. Literally, I rode my bicycle all over Charlotte. I was one of those bicyclists that you blow your horns at. Me and a buddy of mine, we literally as teenagers rode all over Charlotte. I'm sure my parents never gave a second thought to that. Would I let a child do that today? Absolutely not. By the way, if you see my wife crying today, this morning early we had to put our grandbaby, our daughter and our grandbaby on the airplane going back home. But anyway, the things that families are faced with today, The climate is so different. If even Christians become overwhelmed by all of this at times unbelievers must surely feel hopeless at times but Jesus is saying we are not to give up we are not to lose heart we are assured that we have a God who created us he created the whole world he's preparing a better place for us and in the meantime he's given us life that is meaningful and has purpose life is going somewhere we're not the victim. Of chance. We have a God who loves us, a God who answers our prayers, and so we're to pray. When life is hard, when life is difficult, moms pray. That's the first point of this parable. There's, there's the reality that is expressed here that life is going to be filled with many hardships. The Bible is very honest about this. There are times that life is not going to seem fair. Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation. We know that God allows his children to suffer sometimes. And one of the reasons is so that he'll develop us grow us through that look at the screen up there Romans chapter 5 Paul says not only that but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us there's a literary ladder that Paul is, is showing there that points upward the first step on that ladder is tribulation and then that takes us to the second step which is perseverance we we don't learn how to hang in there un- unless there's something like tribulation to stretch us and so God uses Uh, tough times he uses tribulation to develop perseverance and then after perseverance on that ladder there is character Uh, and then after character there's hope as we stand on that top ladder called hope and, and we look down to where we've come from what's Paul say here we will not be disappointed we'll not be disappointed Sometimes as we look forward when we're going through something, we're disappointed. But we get on the other side. We look back and we see what God has done. And we see how he's blessed us and grown us. We're not disappointed. 2 Corinthians 1 gives us another reason, moms, why you might go through trials in life and why you need to pray. You go through trials... Because you're learning that you can trust God. We can't trust the world. This world is passing away. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, look at 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, he says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. And yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead. Hardship gets our attention to put our trust where it ought to be. It ought to be in God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 that hardship and trials in life equip us for ministry. Moms, as you go through something and God takes you through that, you're equipped to help somebody else in the church, maybe another mom, go through that identical trial. So God uses hardship. God uses hardship. We look at hardship and we groan. But God looks at hardship and it's something through which he can grow you and mature you and, and equip you. And guess what, moms? You know that God's going to bring hardship into the lives of your children too, right? Right? Now, you know, sometimes we don't see much of it as hardship. You know, we we know a girlfriend or a boyfriend's going to break up with them at some point, right? At some point, they're going to get cut from a team. They're not going to get the trophy. They're going to make a bad grade from time to time. We understand all that's a necessary part of life. But again, whether it's us going through trials or your child going through trials... What's Jesus saying here? As you face life through many ordinary circumstances of living in a fallen world, there are things that could cause you to faint, things that could cause you to lose heart. And Jesus is saying to Christians, instead of having that response, you need to pray. It's like what Paul said to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We need to pray without ceasing. We need to keep on in it. We need to keep on in it. We need to persevere in it. We need to bathe all of life in prayer and the lives of our children in prayer. Now secondly this morning I want you to see that there is the importance of understanding God's disposition toward us. The importance of understanding God's disposition toward us. Look at what Jesus said. He said, "...in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, "'Give me justice against my adversary.'" For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So after giving the point, Jesus told a parable that, illustrates that point and the parable was so true to life at that time in fact it's so true to life some believe he might have been even citing an actual occurrence you know Jesus in his parables he he told about everyday things right things in nature things in the world of business things in home life and here the situation of a A courtroom at the time with the judge. And there's two characters here. Here here we find a judge and look at how this judge is described. He's described as a man who had no fear of God whatsoever. It shouldn't surprise us then if he had no fear of God. He had no regard for man. This is a guy who cares for no one but himself and somehow or another he's ended up being in power and he's responsible for the welfare of other people when injustices happen to them. Only problem is he's not a very good advocate for those who need him the most. And then the second character we see here is a widow. She's been wrong. There's an injustice against her. In in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, widows and orphans are described as two classes of people that we need to have special affection for and look after. That's what he should have done here. Somebody has wronged this widow. She's not out for something she doesn't. Deserve. She's not after a handout. She's after justice. There's an adversary who has done wrong toward her. So many of the judges at the time were motivated by guess what? Money. Bribes the wealthy and the powerful would pad the hands of judges so that they would get their cases heard sooner and so that they would get a favorable reckoning. Listen to what one writer says. He describes a courtroom scene from from back then. He says, and I quote, The courtroom was not a fine building but a tent that was moved from place to place as the judge covered his circuit the judge not the law set the agenda and he sat regally in the tent surrounded by all of his assistants anybody could watch the proceeding from outside but only those who were approved and accepted could have their cases tried this usually meant bribing one of the assistants so that he could call the judge's attention to the case This widow has no means to do something like that. No means at all. Not only did she not have means, but I mean, she had three strikes against her. Being a woman, sorry ladies, sorry moms, grandmothers, but being a lady at the time, she had no standing whatsoever in the eyes of the law. None. Second strike against her. Not only just being a a female, but she had no husband to represent her, to be an advocate for her. And then thirdly, she's poor, no means for a bride. She's counting on the fact that this judge's position is going to mean that he's going to hand out justice. I mean, that's what he ought to do. But this judge is not a man of character. When she cannot move him to action by appealing to his sense of ethics, she goes another route. She wears him down with her persistence. The verb is present over and over again. Dr. Kent Hughes says the language leaves open the possibility of confrontation everywhere. Not just in the court. She pleaded with him in front of her friends and his colleagues. She confronted him in the street. She pestered him in the market. She even called out to him at his home. Persistence finally he rules in her favor verse 5 says literally I'm going to grant her request lest by her continual coming she blackens my eye now was he afraid that she was some female Mike Tyson no That was an idiomatic expression for giving somebody a bad reputation. She's going to give me a bad reputation if I don't hear her case and render a a judgment. She's going to put a stain on my character. And after all, that's what he cared about, right? He cared about himself. How he was viewed by everybody. And this lady's gonna mess up what everybody thinks of me if I don't give her what she needs. So, what's Jesus do? Jesus invites us to look closely at the first character, the judge, in order to understand that he is not like God. Look at verse 6. Jesus said, the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Folks, this is not a parable of comparison. This is a parable of contrast. Jesus is not saying God's like this judge. He's saying God is opposite than this judge. But his point is, if, if here you have this scoundrel of a fella who cares nothing about anybody but himself, this scoundrel of a fella, if he is eventually moved by persistence, how much more the righteous and holy God of the universe who cares for you. Just think of what the Bible says about God. God created us. Even after Adam and Eve sinned, God was looking for them saying, where are you and providing those garment skins for them? We see the beautiful story of redemption in the Bible. It'd be totally out of character for God to ignore our needs. When the Bible testifies... That he made us and he loves us and he provides for us. Jesus is saying you can count on him to do speedily what this unrighteous judge would not do except by persistence. By the way, we can draw some conclusions about the widow too, how we're not like her. She was a widow, but who are we? We're the bride of Christ, amen? She had no advocate. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ. She was a stranger. We're children. We cry out, by Father. So again, Jesus is saying we, just, we need to look at these characters. We need to understand something about God, especially through looking at these characters. And then thirdly, what I want you to see this morning is we're to understand the requirement of faith. Look at verse 8. Jesus said, I tell you, he'll give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? On earth. Faith is the key. It's not faith in faith the way some teachers want to try to tell you today. It's faith in God. Will he find faith? That's the real point of the story. Yes, it's a parable about persistence in prayer. But folks, that's the secondary issue. You see, in some parables, there, there is what is known as the end stress rule. And this is one of those parables. What's the end stress rule? It simply means in some of the parables, the punchline comes at the end. That's what Jesus is doing here. Punchline's coming at the end. It's a great lesson on persistence and prayer. But it's a greater lesson on faith. We have a God who is just as we've already seen. He'll answer and he'll vindicate. But do we believe enough in him to pray? Will we persist in prayer because of his character? Will we wait upon him in prayer? Will we have faith in his righteous and holy character to look after the needs of his children? What does Hebrews eleven six tell us? That without faith it is impossible to please God. For the one who comes to God must believe, number one, that he is. And number two, that he rewards those who seek him. We're to ask and keep on asking. What Jesus is saying here, the condition of the world, it's going to get so bad before he comes that time he comes, unfortunately, there's not going to be many anymore who are praying like this widow's persistence before the judge. They're gonna have given up on, they're gonna have grown discouraged by life, or like Ted Turner I told you about earlier, he, he just finally said he he turned away from God because for, for, for some known reason to God only, a bigger reason God didn't answer Ted Turner's prayer. God had a bigger purpose. But Ted Turner gave up. And Jesus is saying, that's how it's gonna be when he returns. Unfortunately, too many people are going to have given up on God and they're not going to be praying like this widow did. Folks, Jesus said we're to ask and keep on asking and seek and keep on seeking and knock and keep on knocking. Persistence. A few years ago, I gave you an illustration on persistence right out of the pages of John Wesley's diary. Sunday morning, May 5th, preached at St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday p.m., May 5th, preached at St. John's, deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday, May 12th, preached at St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday, p.m., May 12th, preached at St. George's. Kicked out again. Sunday, May 19th, a.m., preached at St. somebody else's church. Deacons called a special meeting said, I couldn't return. Sunday, p.m., May 19th, preached on the street. Got kicked off the street. Sunday, a.m., May 26th, preached in a meadow. Chased out of the meadow as a bull was turned loose on me during the service. Sunday, a.m., uh, June 2nd, preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway Sunday, PM, June 2nd, afternoon service, preached in a pasture, 10,000 people came out to hear me. Don't give up. Don't give up on God. You know, we know that faith is the key to, to salvation on the human side of the equation. What's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say, For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God even faith is the gift of God but faith is the human response faith is the key to pleasing God as I've just said in Hebrews 11 likewise Jesus is saying faith is the key when it comes to prayer it takes faith to pray and so when we go before God in prayer we have to believe that he hears we also have to believe that he cares we also have to believe that he has the power to do something about our situation and if all of those elements aren't present. Guess what? We won't pray. But the Bible gives us assurances He does hear, He does care. God's Word assures us that He has the power to help, too. There's nothing impossible with God. Here's a true story out of a book by Kirk Johnson. It has a lot to say about persistence in prayer. Even when we don't immediately see the answer, keep on anyway. Listen listen to what he says. Roger Sims, hitchhiking his way home, would never forget the date. May 7th, his heavy suitcase made him tired. He was anxious to take off his army uniform once and for all. Flashing the hitchhiker sign to the oncoming car, he lost hope when he saw it was a shiny, slick, new Cadillac. But to his surprise, the car stopped. The passenger door opened. He ran toward the car, tossed his suitcase in the back, thanked the handsome, well-dressed man as he slid into the front seat. Going home for keeps, son? Sure am, said Roger. Well, you're in luck if you're going to Chicago. Well, not quite that far. Do you live in Chicago, sir? I have a business there, said the driver. My name is Hanover. After talking about many things, Roger, a Christian, felt a compulsion to witness to this 50-ish, apparently very successful businessman about Christ. He kept putting it off until he realized it was just 30 minutes away from home. It was now or never. So Roger cleared his throat and began. To Roger's surprise... The man pulled the car off the highway. He didn't know what was about to happen next. But the man bowed his head. And Roger led him to faith in Christ right there on the side of the highway. Five years went by. Roger married, had a two-year-old boy and a business of his own. Packing his suitcase for a business trip to Chicago, he took out the business card that Hanover had given to him five years before. In Chicago, he looked up Hanover Enterprises. A receptionist told him it was impossible to see Mr. Hanover, but he could see Mrs. Hanover, And so he was ushered into a very extravagant office. She extended her hand to him and said, So you knew my husband? Roger told her how you'd been hitchhiking, and Mr. Hanover had given him a ride home after the war. She said, And when was this? He said, May 7th, five years ago. She said, Are you sure about that? He said, Absolutely. May 7th, five years ago. She said, what was your conversation like with my husband? Anything special? Not knowing where this was going, he hesitated and then plunged right in with her. He said, why yes, I felt compelled to witness to your husband about my faith in Jesus Christ. To my surprise, he pulled the car over and prayed right there on the spot to turn his life over to Christ. Mrs. Hanover suddenly began to sob uncontrollably. She said, I had prayed for my husband's salvation for years. I finally believed God would not save him. Sir, Mr. Hanover never made it home on May 7th, five years ago. After dropping you off, he was involved in a fatal car crash. I've gone these five years believing that God had not answered my prayer. She said herself, I was close to losing faith in God. Jesus is saying here, it might be a long time before he comes back. But keep praying. It's going to take faith to pray. If you don't believe he's there and hears and that he loves you, you're going to give up. Jesus said, keep praying. When he comes, will you be among the few who believes? Moms, commit this morning to praying for your children like never before. The dangers in today's world have never been so great. You can't be with your children wherever they go throughout the day. But guess who can be? God can be. Pray God's protection over them. But but do more than that. Pray that they would be alert to the hand of God working in their lives. And that they would be passionate about doing His will. Obviously, pray for their salvation if they're unsaved. Pray that God would engineer circumstances in their lives and bring the right people into their lives in such a way that they would be saved. Just like that illustration with Hanover. Pray that God would send your child somebody like that young man in the army. Don't give up. Moms, I know that you know this, but you are not the most important person in their lives. God is. But you know what you can be? You can be, other than Jesus himself and the Holy Spirit, you can be the best intercessor that your child has. But again, what's it going to take? Faith. Faith in God. That He cares about your child deeply. He cares about your grandchild deeply. And He has a plan for them. Just like He has a plan for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this parable about persistent prayer. And the faith that it takes to pray that way. Lord, trials and tribulations are great in the world today. And I pray that we would not grow discouraged and give up. But that when you return, that you would find a body of believers here. That are calling out to you and trusting you. That you would find moms and grandmothers here calling out to you and trusting you. Lord, we know that when we can do nothing else, we can pray. And when we pray, it touches the hem of your garment. And you hear and you answer. Sometimes we don't always see those answers right away. Or sometimes the answer may be no. You want to answer in a different way, a better way. You see in your sovereignty a better way. Thank you, Lord, that you don't always give us what we ask for. But you do answer our prayers. Lord, I pray this morning that moms all over this place would begin, even today, stepping it up a notch in being a prayer warrior for their children and their grandchildren for it's in Christ's name that we pray Amen